0: Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink.
1: Welcome, welcome to Tasting Anarchy. My name is Mason Joseph, and I'm joined, as always, by Jacob Lindsay. Fantastic, and I think we have a guest today. Hey, eh? that's, that's right. We do have a guest, and
0: I'm very excited. We, he uh, found out about us from our promo on Tom Woods. Oh, fantastic! Because we did. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and help. I not that Tom Woods needs it from us, but uh, I'll help him out <laughs> again with uh, promoting Bluehost. Uh, yes. Or Bluehost right? or yes, Bluehost, right? Yes, Bluehost. Yeah, and um, so that's what that's who hosts the uh, Chasing Anarchy website. So Tom Woods, because we got it through his affiliate link, he gave us a nice shout out. And that introduced us to Ian, who works at a winery up in the Finger Lakes region, which is a region that is actually very difficult to get down here in Texas. So I was very happy that we made that contact. Uh, but also one that I do. You re- Actually, it's been almost a year because it was Uh, Last Halloween, I think, that I went out to DC for that big wine conference, Uh and that was my very first exposure to Finger Lakes wine, and I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. And so, it was just, I guess, kismet. So, welcome, Ian, to the show.
2: Well, thanks very much. Uh, Happy to be here, certainly, Um, and uh, basically... Yeah, it has been about a year since uh, we initially hooked up, and like you said, it was all due to the the great Tom Wood show, Um, but I was able to finally send you guys some samples of our wines, and uh, so yeah, we're here to chat about those and see what you think.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, Why don't we just get into the wines right now, and then we'll get into talking about the the Finger Lakes region and... um, well, actually, let's go ahead and talk about the wines. We'll talk about the the vineyard, and then we'll talk about the Finger Lakes region. That I think that that's a, that's a good order. I think so. <laughs> so, um, the, you sent us both uh, two wines, and Mason and I both were able to. Actually, I've got a little bit of a story with with the Cab Franc. I was out in California. Um, actually, I guess it was last week, right? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. out in California last weekend, and. Um, I get a text message from my wife going, I couldn't resist. I opened one of your wines. And in my mind, I'm going, I only have two that are, which Mason, you know, that that, that it sounds preposterous that I only have two, but mm-hmm. you know, I uh, I drink a little bit of wine. So I was only down to two and the two were <laughs> that I was saving for this episode. And so I'm going in my mind. Man, I, I really hope she didn't open that cab franc because I really need to try it. And, I, and if she does open it, I wanted to seal it. So I messaged her and I go, "Well, whatever you drink, don't drink all of it, and make sure that you vacuum seal it." And sure enough, uh, because she's a she's a uh, judge of superior wine, I guess <laughs> she chose the cab franc, and uh, but did leave me uh, a glass of it. And I thought it was pretty good. So this is um, Hazlitt wine uh, or Hazlitt 1852. Cabernet Franc. It's 14% alcohol by volume. Uh, as the listeners know, Cab Franc is my favorite grape. Uh, and I thought this was a very good Cab Franc, especially Mm -hmm. at the price point. It was a really good Cab Franc. Um, I've only actually had two others from this region. So this was, I would say on the, um, more aggressive side of what I've had from the region, but I also don't have a wide sampling of this. Uh, it was, it had a lot of the flavors that I associate with with Cab Franc. So it's a little more delicate than Cab Sauv. Uh, some, especially new world has a little bit of that kind of blackberry note to it. Some blueberry, Um, the tannins compared to like the child Cab Sauv, it, it tends to be a little bit smoother. And, um, this just really good representation. I was very happy to drink it. It was very good. My wife enjoyed it a lot. And as Mason, you know, she doesn't really like most wine. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
0: um, so it was a winner in our household. We may be ordering a couple more bottles. Uh, What were your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, so I was, um, so as you know, I like Cab Franc and I like the aggressiveness that we usually see in it. And I thought this was a little more muted than normal, but like not in in a way that I thought was like unrepresentative of it. Like I thought it like because I opened it and, you know, I, I have a terrible habit of pouring the wine into the glass and then not letting it open up and not doing anything to aerate it, just basically drinking it right away. So the first glass I had, I let it sit open for like an hour, which is very rare for me. Um, but I think it helped like sm- not smooth out the flavors, but normally like I'm always like, Oh, Cap franc, like it's just going to be a punch in the face. And this was like a lot smoother than that. And I really enjoyed that fact. And it's like, so interesting
0: to me that that's your an impression.
1: Go go ahead. I said that's so interesting to me that that's your impression
0: of Cab Franc because that like it's not. I wouldn't say it's the opposite of my impression, but I think I enjoy Cab Franc because I feel like it's a nobler representation of
1: the tastes that you would typically get from like a Cab Sauv. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, <laughs> my, my taste is not always super uh, well described or uh, right, let's say, compared to everyone else. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, I well then I definitely
0: Ian, enjoyed it. Well, Ian, what, what can you tell us about this? Because we both enjoyed it. And um, I'm probably going to order some more because I liked it quite a bit. And I am I also want a full bottle so that I can kind of see it as it goes through the entire bottle. Victoria opened it about three days before I was able to drink any of it. So um, I'm kind of curious about it. But uh, what can you tell us about the Cab Franc?
2: Yeah. So uh, first, thanks for the the kind words. Glad you guys both enjoyed it. Um, Cab Franc is a a grape that's particularly well suited for the Finger Lakes region, uh, up here in upstate New York where the Finger Lakes are located. You get some pretty cold winters, uh, and Cab Franc actually winters better than even some, uh, white wine varieties. So, um, which surprises a lot of people, um. But it does, it does develop well, especially in the shorter growing season. And, and on average, in the Finger Lakes, you have a shorter growing season. Um, you know, there's obviously exceptions this year. Uh, there's a lot of excitement for uh, even Cabernet Sauvignons, Merlots in the Finger Lakes, because we had just a really nice, long, hot, dry summer. So um, the Cab Franc is, is going to be outstanding as well. But it, like I was saying, it, it does stand up to a cooler climate on average better than uh, some of the other varieties that are commonly used in red wines.
0: What what do you what would the comparison of the Maybe this is kind of out of order because I said we were going to talk about the region later. But this reminded me a lot of Loire Cab Franc, but with kind of that New World fruitiness. Um, climate wise, do you do you know uh, like parts of the old world that Finger Lakes kind of compares to?
2: Yeah. uh, I mean, I'll, I'll admit this is a a weakness when it comes to me, but I know um, to be honest with you, but as far as other regions are concerned, you do have some comparisons to um, the Loire. Mm -hmm. um, That's for sure. Um, You get a lot of comparisons to uh, the um, growing regions in Germany uh, okay, and in Austria as well, um, where you know Grüner Veltliner is huge. Um, do you, that, oh, that, do you
0: guys do a Grüner? Do you guys do a Grüner Veltliner? I love Grüner
2: Veltliner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we actually we started Grüner. I think it's our sixth vintage at this point, um, okay. but it's growing fantastic um, in our really? vintage, okay. There's a there's a handful of producers, uh, at least on Seneca Lake. Um, that are doing Gruner Veltliner and there's some producers on the other lakes, but, uh, it grows particularly well. And, um, there's a lot of, a lot of regional excitement, uh, at least re- regarding Gruner now. And obviously the future as, as winemakers figure out how they want to make the wine and, uh, vineyard managers, you know, continue to learn how to grow the grape ever more effectively.
0: Well, this is, I mean, this is already, because now that you've said that I went back to the website to take a closer look, and I do see the Gruner here, which is actually a great price point, $13 for anybody, the, for the 2018 Gruner and People who like a cool climate white, like I do. Uh, also, it looks like you guys got a Riesling too. Um, yep. mm-hmm. I like, Mason, you like Riesling a lot. I like Thank Riesling you. too. And they have a sweet Riesling. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. You know what? I got I got I'm going to have to make another pass on here and, uh, <laughs> Jacob, you get gonna, a couple
1: more of these. <laughs> you're suddenly going to have like, you know, 30 bottles of wine again. So
0: <laughs> I, I know. Well, I, uh, well, I'm totally out right now. This is my last bottle. So, um, <laughs> all those whites that I got for our future stuff are gone. So, <laughs> but, uh, <Wow. laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's nice to have a, it's nice to have a glass of wine all the time. So <laughs> so I was trying to think of a good reason why, but I don't have a good reason. I just like it. So, yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think this was, a, this was a, a good cab franc uh, for, for people who, so I don't think we've actually really gotten that much into Finger Lakes region because it is a little bit hard to get it outside of uh, ordering direct from a winery or from uh, like I, like I, I actually tried to go to our total wine here and look and, and although they did have actually some Virginians, interestingly enough, but uh, here in Texas, there is very, very little to uh, from the Finger Lakes, maybe one or two bottles and um, they weren't what I wanted. Um, But this was, this was, I think really good. Um, and I, I would encourage people to go check out actually. I don't even think we said what the winery was called.
1: We did, but, but did we? hmm
0: Yep. Ha- okay. Hazlitt. Okay. And I actually have a note here to ask about this. It's not in the history on your website, but did you ever consider that this is also um, somehow related? You listened to us from Tom Woods and it's called Hazlitt and Henry Hazlitt is really important in libertarianism. <laughs> and so I, I, that, that was the, that was the connection that I made it, in my mind. I was like, that's actually a uh, pretty serendipitous. Uh, but I, uh, uh, anything else, Mason, you want to talk about this particular
1: wine? Uh, no, no. Um, I, I'm ready to talk about the other one, and I have a, a little bit of a news for you about that one.
0: Okay, go ahead and go into that one, because this actually, of the two, even though I, I think I enjoyed the Cab Franc more, this one I think is the more interesting for you and me.
1: Yeah, so I... I, you know, got the bottles and I put them away and waited to this weekend. So we knew Ian was coming on. So I would kind of have a fresh memory of them and, and didn't, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, three weeks ago or however long ago it was like when I got them and then trying to remember from there. So I just did not put together that this one, the Hazlitt Sweet Red Cat, was a sweet red wine. So I got like, you know, super fruity note on the nose, which isn't, which is kind of rare for me. And I took that first sip and I was like, because I don't drink a lot of sweet wine. I was like, wow, this is really sweet. And then kind of put it together. It's like, yeah, it's a sweet red wine, you doofus, like not like to like demean the bottle, but like looking at the bottle, it's kind of like, this is clearly a sweeter red wine and Like, I really enjoyed this. This was just, it was super interesting. Like, we've got Thanksgiving coming up, and apparently it's available at the Total Wine in Norfolk. So I'm thinking about getting a few bottles, because we're doing Thanksgiving at the house, and we're, like, uh, smoking some turkeys, or we're smoking a turkey. So I'm thinking about getting this to kind of, like, hey, family, try this interesting red wine I've got, which... You know the pairing notes don't have that, but my pairing notes are always bizarre. So like, well, I,
0: I could I, I, I could know. actually see
1: this oh, going pretty well with turkey. turkey. So
2: yeah, yeah. The uh, the red cat is is really an interesting wine. It is uh, go actually going back before we get too far ahead, since it's since you brought it up. Uh, I do not know if the Hazlits uh, were related to or are related to uh, Henry Hazlitt in any way, shape, or form. I can only hope. But uh, I, I have yet to ask that question. Um, uh, but fast forward to Red Cat. That is our best-selling wine. And uh, you're right. You can find it down in Virginia. Uh, we've distributed uh, – in the past, we've distributed this wine as far as California. It is a national brand. Um, so you, you get it. Uh, we distribute it right now currently – uh, basically, along the eastern seaboard, uh, all the way down to Florida, uh, we had distributed in Texas and, and like, I, like I had said, all the way out to California. But basically, we're on the East Coast at this point. Um, it is the top-selling red wine in New York State, um, so it's super popular, uh, especially in upstate New York, and uh, due to our fantastic governor and what he's done to the state over the years uh, with a lot of our folks leaving the state um, it's become even more popular in other states as mm-hmm. upstate New Yorkers leave, settle somewhere else and are still looking for their fix. So uh, it's uh, but it is, it's a, it's a food friendly wine. It's certainly a sweet wine and you know, the label's fun. It's, it's casual and uh, that's sort of the feel of our winery in general. If you guys ever make it up to the tasting room or anybody listening, it's a very casual tasting room. Uh, It's almost like a a backwoods bar type feel to it uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, uppity tasting room experience. Well, I was going to say, Jerry has some experience with those. What's
1: that? Uh, Driving back from Childerberg, you, you found that like kind of, like Texas bar, almost tasting room.
0: <laughs> no, that that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about that. Wasn't yeah. from Schilderberg. That was when I went to go plant in Marfa. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah, But yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, kind no, of on that the, sounds, the. That sounds awesome. Like at least on the like the tasting room, because that's I'm always kind of like even though like I I do drink wine quite frequently, and I, I I'm not going to say like I'm a, like an expert or anything, but I do know a good amount about wine. I still kind of like feel slightly intimidated in tasting rooms. So like the sound of like, Hey, it's laid back kind of country bar. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, but, and,
0: and I, I agree. I agree with Mason. Um, and I've, I've gone to, I mean, I'm, I, I have some credentials when it comes to wine. Uh, but most of them are just because I'm, you know, a hopeless drunk, but, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I actually feel a lot more, I, I think I feel more comfortable kind of in a, for lack of a better way of putting it like a blue collar kind of tasting area,
1: mm-hmm. uh, people
0: who uh, want to have fun that it's not about, it's not about like, Oh, I detect the Eastern slope of, you know, whatever. And, and Mason, you and I've kind of shown this a lot in our show. And I think that kind of came across with Hazlitt in their website a lot too. Uh, Cause before the show, Mason and I were talking about things like um, the back of the bottle for this one, because the red cat that we've got is the uh, Halloween red, uh, red cat and the back of it i think is just great Mason, do you want to you want to just read the back because it's pretty I funny and i don't enough. have it in
1: front of me so if you have it then okay
0: i got it yeah. i got it here okay then uh so this spectacular semi sweet catawba thriller is great with goulash which <laughs> let's go uh, i'll continue <laughs> uh it's also the first choice in catacomb table wine for flesh eating zombies come on scary cats grab a red cat and make your bash a monster mash, serve chilled, serve often, <laughs> which is, I actually didn't drink this chilled, and I still think it's very good. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I, it's, it's chilled by you know the temperature of our house, which is about 70, but um, I I thought it was also fantastic. I have never had this grape to my knowledge, and when I read it, and I was like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Ian, you can tell me if I am or not. I said,
2: catawba. It's, uh, yeah, basically it's Catawba. Catawba, um, okay. And that's, that's uh, you know, if, if you go historically and you look at the Finger Lakes as a region, uh, historically um, you have grapes like Catawba, uh, Concord, um, Niagara, uh, basically grapes that were grown up there that were natural to the area that were often used in grape juice production. Uh, for and then obviously in, in any types of grape products, whether it be grape pies or you know, grape jellies, that type of thing. Uh, so that was that was really a, a backbone of uh, the Finger Lakes, you know, agricultural sector for a long time was, was growing those types of grapes until the 60s rolled around and uh, a pioneer. Um, Dr. Frank, which there's still a winery, uh, that was, that he started and is still owned by his family. And Dr. Frank was, uh, I hope I don't get this wrong, but I think he was German and he was, uh, he was very familiar with, he had worked in vineyards over in Germany, um, thought the Finger Lakes, um, the microclimate of the Finger Lakes in particular, uh, basically could grow, uh, vinifera or you know, varieties that are commonly grown in, in Europe, uh, like Riesling, yeah. Pinot Noir, Cap Franc, etc. cetera. Uh, he thought the Finger Lakes could could grow vinifera successfully. So uh, he, back in the 60s, started planting the, the, uh, all those vinifera varieties. And um, contrary to a lot of other people's belief, he succeeded. And what basically... Uh, the Finger Lakes has transformed into is we've we've a lot of wineries have gone away from the Native American varieties like the Catawba um, and have produced you know wines like the Cab Franc that you guys tried Riesling uh, Chardonnay Pinot Noir you know those common vinifera v- varieties that people are familiar with uh, in their wines.
0: Yeah, and then I think that's really very interesting. Uh, the The American varietals are actually. Tend to be pretty hard to come by, and I think it might be because they have um, a non-traditional, I guess, uh, flavor. And like this, katap, this kataba, kataba, kataba. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. know, kataba. It- okay, um, I have never had that before. When I was doing a little bit of research on it, I was like, this is actually pretty interesting and fairly impactful on just American viticulture in general. Um, and you know, if, the, if people weren't already growing this in places like the Finger Lakes region, or this says. This says this may have been, uh, cultivated down in Maryland originally. And they think according to the Wikipedia article, they don't know for sure. I guess they never did the genetics on it. Uh, they think it might be a, a, um, a hybrid of Labrusca and, uh, or, uh, Labrusco, which is the uh, pretty, the native American varietal and, uh, Similion, uh, which is a French varietal and, um, I like this a lot. I also have never had an American varietal that I thought was bad. It was typically a little bit different than the, the European styles, but there is uh, and I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank on what the name is, but there is a, a white that they do here in Texas. That is a hybrid. It was a hybrid developed, I think for Florida actually, but it does pretty well here in Texas and you can make really interesting wines out of it. They're just different. And, um, That's kind of how I feel a little bit about this, uh, about this red cat is that I, I've never really had one like this, but then like what Mason said is we don't typically go for sweet wines, but this is super drinkable. And I, I, I like it enough that I would actually probably get more of it because it's, it definitely seems kind of like a party wine to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, uh, We've we've certainly sold it that way over the years. Um, you know, it, it, Mason was getting at how he how he likes more of a casual atmosphere, and you know, I sort of touched on this earlier. But uh, you know, we've we've always basically been very welcoming to anybody, whether it's the the people that are looking to sample our cab franc or people that are looking to have a good time and you know have a couple glasses of wine and just enjoy themselves. So um red cats when we started the winery back in 1985 that was one of the first wines and uh the Hazlitt boys doug and phil Hazlitt, ran the tasting room and um they're still around today and if if you ever got the pleasure to meet either one of them uh you'd realize real quick uh that they they both love having a good time so um it's it's definitely part of the brand that that we're we're, you know, unapologetic and uh, unapologetically fun. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, that that definitely comes across in the, in the website just, and also the, the labeling on the bottles, because it is, it's casual. It's fun. It's not um, pretentious at all. It's not really trying to push anything. I do have a, 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 que- a question about uh, this Red Cat versus other Red Cats. Is the Halloween Red Cat any different than the normal Red Cat or is it just the labeling?
2: Yeah, good question. So because Red Cat's so popular, uh we've done some spin-off labels labels over the years. Um and so it's the same wine, just a different label. We do a holiday label. Uh we've done a Valentine's Day label in the past as well. So just something a little different that that our consumers seem to really love. So Yeah, I I
0: like I liked it. I especially liked the description on the back of it because um yeah, it's just, it was funny. And who who do you know who wrote this? Because I, I just think it was like, Mason, Mason, your your wife loves like the,
2: the kind of punny stuff. And mm-hmm. this was, I thought, I thought, pretty excellent. I'm not 100% sure I have my suspicions, but I'm hoping Henry Hazlitt wrote it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. That's <laughs>
2: perfect. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I th- yeah, I think I might be ordering some of this. We've got a, uh, we, well, this is going to be our first ever is um, we're doing Ukrainian Christmas here, which is uh, January 7th because uh, my wife's Ukrainian. And um, so maybe I, I might get a couple of bottles of, of this from your guys' website just because it, it is it is really fun. And I think that if, if any of my sisters get a chance to come out and they're not really wine drinkers, I think they would really enjoy this. And I think they would, I, I think this, I mean, this to me, it's not quite as tart as cranberry, but I think this would go really well with, with people who like to have cranberry sauce on their turkey. This, mm-hmm. I think, would be a really great pairing for white meat, uh, the white meat from the turkey, like turkey breast. Um, and we'll probably do turkey, even though it's Ukrainian Christmas and I'll be you know cooking all the Ukrainian dishes. But we'll probably also do a turkey. And I think this would actually, this fruitiness, to me, would go really well with that kind of white poultry meat.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And and I think you're spot on with the cranberry um, sauce uh, pairing. Um, I've never personally paired it with Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but it's got that, Red Cat's got that nice acidity. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the fruit flavors uh, yeah. are the backbone of it. But that nice acidity helps it pair well with lots of things. And a lot of casual drinkers and, and folks that aren't familiar, uh, with wine, you know, they, they really yeah. gravitate towards it because it's, it's an easy drinking, uh, very easy drinking wine.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of important to people who are, are kind of being, I guess, introduced to wine is that it is, it is sometimes, I wouldn't say off-putting because, but, it, but a, a very dry red is a very different drink than what Particularly Americans, I think, because we do have we tend to have a sweet palate when it comes to drinks. I mean, Mason, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Like when it comes to beer, a lot of those Belgian fruit beers, when they export them to the United States, they mix them with fruit juice because Americans tend to have a slightly sweeter palate than Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people who, especially Americans, who are used to drinking, you know, my favorite, my favorite soft drink, Diet Dr Pepper, or something like that, these these very sweet uh, drinks, when they taste a very dry, extremely tannic red wine, uh, like a, you know, like a, like a, um, you know, like a Bordeaux style uh, left bank uh, kind of Cab heavy type of red wine where it's really dry, a little bit fruity, but more on the minerally side. Uh, that's sometimes a little bit hard to access, but w- if you're kind of introduced to wine, and and like I said, Mason and I really weren't, introduced to these kind of fruity wines at first. But now that I think my palate has changed a lot, I appreciate them a lot more than I think mentally I was appreciating when we first started the show, Mm -hmm. especially, especially when it's a grape I haven't tasted. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. It's something different. Um, I think that I, I think I maybe I would say even now, I think I have a slightly more objective view than I did probably when we first started out, uh, because I, I've tasted so much stuff and now I kind of go, yeah, I think I can see sort of why people are not as keen on trying like, I really, I mean, caps off is the only thing I can think of. Like everybody I know who doesn't like wine, what they're thinking of is a either nauseatingly sweet, something that's like, um, like a, uh, um, What's that? That white sweet wine from France? What's that called, Mason? Um, uh, I'm
1: not. It. I'm not. I can't it up, remember but, what it's. But called. I know what you mean. Yeah, the, the, yeah. It, where it's like, like that syrupy kind of sweetness, yeah.
0: or they're thinking of like a a bone dry cab sauv, and they're just like those tannins are not for me. But this is like a really good kind of. It's a it's a fun drink. It's fruity. It's easy. It's easily accessible. Um, it's not super alcoholic, so you can drink quite a bit of it. And uh, it's just yeah I mean it's exactly what you were saying that the Hazlit kind of brand is is it, it's a fun wine the labels fun everything about it is just kind of a fun wine
2: yeah and then you know one of the reasons why I've been with the company for about uh, 11 years now one of the reasons why I love working there is because we have that fun side and then we do have also that serious side. Uh, of high quality vinifera wines, like the Cab Franc. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fun to, I mean, overall, we have about 36 different products we make. Um, we even make, you were referring to a very super sweet, sugar, sugary, syrupy wine. We make an ice wine, we make a port and a sherry. Right. Yeah. An ice um, wine. That's a,
0: that's a great example of what I was talking about. Ice wines, which I, I didn't, I w- probably would have never liked that when Mason and I first started the show. But in the most recent years, when I kind of, when I started doing WSET certifications and kind of started understanding what those wines, what their role is, I guess is as like a dessert wine is not a wine you drink alone. It's a a wine that you drink with dessert that that sort of, mean now now that you have an ice wine, I kind of want to look that up
1: too. I'm I was literally you're, you're selling me on this
2: show. Yeah, you're I, didn't, me. I didn't I didn't mean to, you know. But <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take any sales we make. That's yeah, for right. sure. I was um, literally but, yeah, on the it's, ice it's,
1: wine page. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's nice to basically what I was driving as it's, it's nice to work at, at a place where you can come in and and hopefully satisfy almost any customer that walks through the door because of you know, all the different tastes. I mean, you guys were a great example. You both had your, your own interpretations of the cab franc and everybody's got a different palate. And that's one of the fun things about wine is everybody has a different palate. Everybody's got a different take on it and they're not wrong. Everybody's right because it's their palate. So, um, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to listen to people's feedback, uh, regarding all of our products really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, well, I want to get into some more stuff about, uh, I, I, now I want this cat
1: pack too, because I see, I,
0: I, I need to stop browsing the website. You, you got to look at everything. the,
1: Jacob, you got to look at the White Stag. The White Stag? Okay. Yeah. Let me,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll look at that in a minute. But okay. uh, what I wanted to set, I guess, transition into now that we've kind of covered both of the wines that we tasted and Mason and I both thoroughly enjoyed them is, um, I guess the the Hazlitt, uh, the Hazlitt, <laughs> brand, the vineyards, and then um also what your role is with Hazlitt.
2: Sure. The uh hopefully you're not getting too much of my dog barking there.
1: Uh, I mean, he, uh, he, he I've got, got, two got dog dogs. I've got a I've dog got a dogs. dogs are dogs are a staple of the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: right. I thought they were you Jacob's know, dogs make- to be honest. <laughs> so I'll let him know that. He'll probably bark more. Uh so yeah my role with the company right now is uh my title is regional sales manager. Uh, basically, I I handle uh, the western part of New York State as well as a bit of the north country in New York State. Um, and what I do is I'm we have a distributor in New York, so they're they're primarily responsible for getting our product into liquor stores as well as bars and restaurants. And I'm basically a supporter of the distributor, so. I stop into stores, bars, restaurants, uh, set up tastings with owners, buyers, um, basically to try to sell our product in or more of our products in, uh, to these different establishments. Um, so that's, that's my role, um, currently. And obviously with COVID, uh, 19 things have been a little different, but, uh, under normal, normal circumstances, I'm driving all over the place, stopping into different businesses trying to sell products.
0: Well, what, so that's actually kind of interesting. And I, I have a note to talk about it because I was just going to ask how that, you know, Mason and I've covered quite a bit about how COVID has impacted, um, mostly California is kind of what we've talked about, but, uh, up, up in Finger Lakes region, New York in general, you know, New York has had a pretty severe lockdown, uh, similar to California. What has your guys' experience been with this lockdown? I, i I know a lot of, uh, I mean, you guys seem to be in a lot more stores than some of the wineries that I'm talking about. But a lot of the a lot of wineries, even when they're in stores, are heavily impacted by this because a lot of their sales are driven by people coming to the winery. Uh, what What's your guys' experience from that been?
2: Yeah, so uh, you know, it's as I'm sure it's been for a lot of people. It's it's been a bit of a blur since March, but um, there was about a month to two month period, I think that the tasting room was basically closed for bottle sales only so you know we and we are doing curbside service um, so basically we were just functioning as a store um, we weren't doing tastings once uh tastings were allowed to resume um traditionally uh the tasting rooms run uh basically a customer will walk in pay five bucks choose six wines stand right at the bar Talk with the bartender. Uh, basically, they'll be at the bar for 20 minutes to 30 minutes, and then they're on their way into the gift shop to hopefully buy. What COVID changed is we we axed those traditional tastings, and we went to a flight system. So, basically, a uh, customer would select a the flight. Um, they'd bring it up to the bar. The bartender would pour the flight, step back, let the customer take the flight, and due to our luckily fantastic weather, a lot of the customers just would take the flights or we deliver the flights outside. Uh, you know, we, we ended up buying a massive tent, uh, tons of picnic tables. Um, because the rule is that if you're consuming wine in, in New York, or if you're consuming alcoholic beverages, I should say, you, you must be seated. So, um, we had to purchase, as well as all, all the other vineyards in the area, purchase tons of picnic tables. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's once our tasting room was open, that's how we function as a flight only. Uh, traffic has been actually surprisingly fantastic. Uh, people are looking for things to do. Yeah, um, with what with the travel bans that uh, Governor Cuomo instituted on the state. Uh, we had a huge influx this year of folks from New York City, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, and uh, surprisingly, in, historically we've the Finger Lakes has never drawn that many people from New York City, which is crazy if you think yeah. about New York City's you know arguably the wine capital of the world or was and uh they don't even know about something in their backyard but with the travel restrictions people were looking for something to do within the state of new york so they they flocked up um and we had you know record numbers um at least from folks uh coming from new york city in the surrounding area um so traffic's been good sales have been good uh our liquor store sales have been fantastic. Um, Restaurant and bar sales have taken a, an absolute beating um, because a lot of restaurants and bars have been shut down. Um, but at, as far as Hazlitt is concerned, we've, we've been super lucky to, um, to have such a uh, prominent brand, especially in the wholesale market, that uh, sa- sales for us has been good
0: that's good because I, I know that like a lot of places uh, that we've covered have been struggling pretty greatly and uh it's it's kind of nice and actually this might i mean maybe it's a blessing in disguise or whatever yeah i, I it's 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 interesting that i mean yeah you're right new york city you know when uh, my wife and i first started dating she lived in new york city and that's where i wanted to go all the time i was like well let's go up to upstate new york because i don't really i'm not really a city guy and um we never did. <laughs> and but like but yeah, it's interesting because like I mean a lot of New Yorkers and 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 I think the country at whole kind of thinks of New York as New York City. But there's just so much other stuff going on in in New York and uh from from a wine perspective, uh, you know, even though I mean, there is um the Finger Lakes region. There was also a guy I met, uh, and I can't remember what his winery. It might be Fjord, Fjord Winery, but which is in a different part of New York. And um, there's just a lot of really interesting things going on in New York for wine. And so, if you're a, a wine person and you're in, you know, New York City or the Greater Metroplex area. You know, right here in your backyard, you've got just a couple of hours away. You can go to the Finger Lakes, you can go to um, some, of, uh, there's a couple of places I, I know on Long Island that are doing interesting stuff, not not really my cup of tea, but they are doing things and uh, it's not in the city. So, and and I'm kind of, you know, I believe in markets, I believe in all that sort of stuff. But like, I'm also kind of a, you know, by local kind of thing too, even though like, you know, local in Texas is (laughs) nine hours away. I go, I go to plant grapes and on the East coast, that's, you know, twice the distance from New York to Virginia beach. But, uh, yeah, I I think that's interesting. So maybe, maybe that is a blessing in disguise that you'll get a lot more, uh, people regionally coming out to the Finger Lakes region. I think it's really good to hear.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know we we were huge beneficiaries uh, the, f- the Finger Lakes region in general of uh, basically uh, when the Governor of Pennsylvania shut down uh, a lot of their state stores because in PA, the liquor stores, most of them are run by the state. So when right. the governor shut those down, uh, we had flocks of Pennsylvanians, which which is honestly our, our one of our biggest markets anyways, is folks from Pennsylvania. Is this, they, I,
0: that's that's really close uh, in your part of New York, right? Like, isn't I, I'm trying to think of it in my mind. Maybe I'll look it up on the map. But Pennsylvania is like right across the border.
2: Yeah, yeah, super okay. close, and and tons. Even more Pennsylvanians came up uh, for for their fix. Uh, you know, when the governor shut everything down down there, so uh, we were we were definitely beneficiaries of that. But going back to what you were saying, as far as Wine regions, you know, you have the Finger Lakes, and and just in the Finger Lakes alone, there's, uh, I mean, you know, numbers vary with closures and new openings but in the finger lakes alone there's 150 plus wineries on seneca lake alone which is where one of our locations is you got 60 wineries on seneca lake it's and that's that's just wineries and then you have add to that there's some distilleries there's some fantastic breweries um and and seneca lake alone is just a hub of uh some people call it Alcohol Alley, but some of the locals <laughs> call it that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, aside from the Finger Lakes, you have, you know, s- some wineries up in uh, the Niagara region. You have yeah. wineries all the way up in the Thousand Islands region, Hudson Valley. And then, like you were saying, Long Island, where, where they're known for some really nice reds uh, as they get a little, little better climate, at least a little more consistent climate for, for great uh, red wine production down there.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I know Mason, you and I've talked about this. Like, this is not really anywhere near you guys, but uh, Southern Jersey, from what I understand, has pretty good Bordeaux style wines. I, I, when I went to that big uh, wine event in DC, they had a couple people out from Long Island, and although it wasn't my style of wine, I was actually really impressed with what they could do. I mean, I think that probably though, when I came away from that, um, I was most impressed with with the Finger Lakes region and kind of getting into Finger Lakes region. Uh, I'm not sure that we really covered where that is exactly in New York. It's upstate New York, but it's, it, it's near, uh, Syracuse. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's, well, depending on it's the Finger Lakes region is composed of 11 official Finger Lakes, but there's a lot more lakes than just 11 in that region. But, um, it's anywhere, depending on which lake you're going to, uh, you know, half hour to two hours from the Syracuse area, basically southwest of Syracuse.
0: What was the other, there's another major city there too. Is is it Buffalo or uh, Rochester?
2: Uh, So basically Rochester's uh, just northwest of the Finger Lakes and then Syracuse is just northeast. So you got uh, those uh, major cities when you're talking about upstate New York, those two major cities uh, basically flank in the Finger Lakes region.
0: Yeah. This is, I mean, this part of the country, I haven't actually been there, but this is one of those things that everybody tells me is like one of the most beautiful parts of America. Uh, it, it's uh, especially for like um, kind of what people in their minds envision about fall is that it's, it's this place where when it, when it turns fall, you get those bajillion colors and stuff on the trees. And and then in the Finger Lakes region itself, I'm sure it gets very cold out there, but the lakes sort of had this kind of mitigating effect on like brutal temperatures. So it ends up being um, not so cold that it basically, <laughs> not so cold that it kills your vines, I guess, is is the best way to, uh, <laughs> to say it, is that you get this kind of a heat sink there in the lake where it can kind of absorb some of that summer temperature and release it slowly over the winter so that you have a little bit more of a, a fair winter than, you know, one of the things that I always think about I used to be a huge, well, I'm still a huge fan of uh, old time radio from like the 1930s, 40s, 50s. And um, there was this uh, commercial all the time on, I think it was the Bob Hope show or something like that. And uh, for blue coal, because everybody used to heat their house with cold. Maybe they still do up there. Uh, we don't have to worry about heat down here in Texas, but um, they they would have this commercial for blue coal and they would talk about how cold it is in Buffalo, New York and uh, that kind of always stuck in my mind. So every time I think of upstate New York, I'm like, oh, it's this freezing temperature. But then I realized that there's this like magnificent wine region up there as well. So there must be this kind of either the Great Lakes are doing it or the Finger Lakes are doing it, where it kind of evens things out and gives you that great that great temperature in winter, where your 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 vines can kind of hunker down and uh, sort of survive that winter but then in the summer they get that good diurnal temperature between daytimes and nighttime where you get that great flavor development in the grapes themselves. Is that do you think that's from the the lakes or is that just generally that region?
2: No, it's definitely from the lakes. You're you're spot on and uh the lakes just keep everything a little mo- a little bit more temperate and you know, if you're some of the main roadways that, you know, run along the lakes, you can be up on the main roadway and it'll be in the winter time. It'll be 10 degrees colder up on that roadway. If you zoom down to the lake, all of a sudden it's 10 degrees warmer and, you know, not all the vineyards are right next to the lakes. That's for sure. Um, but, but a lot of them, you know, line, line the lakes and take advantage of that, um, moderating temperature aspect that those lakes provide some of the lakes like Seneca Seneca Lake is it's not over. It's about, I think it's widest point almost. Um, I'm going to butcher it probably a mile, but, uh, it's 640 feet deep. Uh, so that really, really holds a lot of heat. In fact, it very rarely, if I think it's only happened once where it's actually frozen over. Um, so Seneca Lake especially is, is a great lake for growing grapes, but you still can grow grapes very successfully on the other lakes, even if they do freeze over. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a microclimate uh, that's, that the lakes are largely responsible for um, that basically allow us to grow, grow fruit and grow it very successfully.
0: What what are some uh, you know Mason and I both used to live in Virginia and he still currently lives in Virginia. But um, one of the things that Virginia always had a hard time was humidity causing different types of rot. Uh, do you guys ever have to like? Do you have to compete a little bit with rot or for like powdery mildew or downy mildew or anything like that?
2: Yeah, that's that's actually uh, one of the biggest problems in the Finger Lakes is is trying to battle uh, the rot mildew. Uh, And and issues coming from too much moisture. And, you know, a lot of that moisture is coming from, you know, the Great Lakes. Great Lakes provide a lot of cloud cover um, and a lot of precipitation. So uh, everybody crosses their fingers and prays for a nice, uh, warm, dry fall. So harvest, you know, brings in a bunch of clean fruit that doesn't always happen. 2018 was a, was a great example. It, it rained a lot in the fall in 2018 and, and fruit was not the cleanest, but, uh, you know, like, like we do, we made it work, but, uh, generally we've, we've had, especially recent history, we've had some good, uh, warm and dry falls to, to give us some good fruit.
0: Interesting. There, there, there's a, this, I mean, this is something I've been interested in a while and I, and I have not taken the time to look into it too much. Um, in Europe, there is, uh, it's called, I think it's called Botrytis. Uh, it's a, it's a type of rot. They call it noble rot also. And it makes a, a, a sweet wine called the uh, Tochai or Tochai or something like that in, uh, Eastern Europe. And then they also make, um, trying to remember what it's called. I think it's a, in Germany, it's, it's when noble rot gets on the Riesling grape and they make a particular type of wine on that too. Um, is there anything, I, I don't know if you know about this at all. This is just kind of my own rambling in my mind is when I, when I think of places that are very humid, I know that Botrytis is from uh, a fog settling in on during like really close to harvest and you get this noble rot and it makes this extremely sweet wine uh, do you guys ever experience anything like that? Cause I know you said you did ice wines, which is, is actually similar to what, what botrytis does, but it's mostly that the ice is concentrating the fruit flavors. And in this case, it's the botrytis is sucking out all the water and concentrating those sugars. Uh, do you know any, are, are you guys doing anything that is sort of related to that? Or are you mostly just sticking to the kind of the ice wines?
2: So, yeah, great question. As far as botrytis goes, uh, I, I actually chatted with a winemaker about this, uh, sometime last year, uh, just to pick his brain on it. And if I recall correctly, he basically said, you know, Botrytis does under great conditions, make some really fantastic wines. Um, but he said it's just a real gamble and it's something that, uh, we prefer to stay away from. Okay. Um, because he, if I recall correctly, he said that it would, uh, basically could turn very fast and turn, turn bad very fast. So it's, it's just a timing thing and a risk, uh, risk factor that, you know, at at the moment we don't partake in. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, like you were, like you were saying with the ice wine, there's, there's certainly some risk involved there. There's, uh, you generally don't have an issue in the finger lakes getting too cold, but you could have an, a, uh, unseasonably warm winter and yeah. if that's the case uh, you might be you might have a bunch of uh we use Vidal Blanc grapes but you might have a bunch of bad grapes on your hands if if you're not getting a the cold climate that you're hoping for for your ice wine
0: well what what happens to those grapes like that's actually interesting because I I never even thought about this before is if if you were planning to have an ice wine and you don't get that freeze it doesn't freeze the grapes at all What what happens to those grapes? You you can't make wine out of them, or they just go bad. Uh, What happens to that?
2: We'd probably hastily pick them and look for a buyer. Um, You know that's that's the nice thing about being in in a you know a a pretty big wine region is generally uh, regardless of how how the fruit looks, generally you're going to have a buyer. You're going to be able Uh to use that juice for something. Um, So. Uh, that's, that's probably the path you would take or, or some, some wineries just might pull the trigger on an ice wine. If they're not, if, they're, if they predict that, you know, cold weather is not coming, they might harvest it and, and manually freeze it. And when they do that, you can turn it into an iced wine. You have to call it an ICED. You have to call it an iced wine if you manually freeze it, but that, that would be another option as opposed to making a traditional ice wine.
0: Oh, that's, that's very interesting. I think I'm going to, I'm going to put this on my list also, because I, now I want to order one of your guys' ice wine, because that's also one that I don't get a lot of. And I think we have had one or two, my wife and I thought she might like it and she didn't end up liking it, but I thought it was super interesting.
1: So I've often wondered if like about the idea of you know, freezing it like if it didn't get cold enough. Now, you said you, you guys use the Vidal Blanc to make that. Do you make any other wine out of that, or do you only specifically grow that for ice wine?
2: Good question. Uh, we, we use our Vidal Blanc. Um, we actually have two, two blocks of it, um, but we, use, we sell one block off, and uh, we use the other block that's a bit closer to the lake uh, for our ice wine. Hmm. Um and we don't always produce our ice wine depending on stock because it doesn't always it, it's an expensive bottle and it's a small volume um, that you're getting um, so it's generally a slow seller and with like you guys are saying with with the uh, very specific flavor profile that doesn't appeal to a ton of people, it's just a slow mover um, but if you I, I like to tell people, think of it as liquid candy, and if you think of that wine as liquid candy, it's going to be one of the best things you drink ever. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> it's it is it's super.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that's kind of how I always feel about dessert wines too. Is that it? It until I kind of understood what their role was, it was it was very off putting. And then when I understood what a dessert like kind of a sweet wine, well, a, a wine that intensely sweet, not sweet like this red cat, but like a dessert dessert wine. It was very off-putting until I was like, "Oh no, I understand how this works and pairs." Yeah, that—that that was kind of the pairing is what really got me. Is that when I—I I remember specifically they get uh, it was a Saturns. That's what I was thinking of earlier, Mason. It was Saturns. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this uh, mango, this incredibly sweet mango pudding, and then w- when I was doing this class, and then they were like, "Okay, taste the Saturns." You taste the Saturns, and I'm like, "Ugh, not what I like." And then. They're like, okay, now eat this mango pudding and then taste the Saturns. And I was like, holy crap, this is this is completely different than what I actually thought. Like, this is actually a really outstanding wine. But it it was one of those kind of eye opening experiences where I was like, oh, I understand now why pairing is important, particularly for very specific types of wine. And kind of on the same note of uh, the uh, dessert wines, I saw on your guys' website that you also do a port style wine. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the port style one? Because I do like port, and I know that uh, typically port is um, fortified, so it's it's kind of a high alcohol. And I saw the alcohol content on your guys' port was uh, 18%. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Because I know a lot of our friends, Mason, you included actually, because you're a cigar guy. A lot of our friends like port with a cigar or with some sort of like really kind of heavy after meal, um, more, I don't know what you would, savory, I don't know if savory is the right word, but like that kind of like more of a cigar or like a really heavy bitter chocolate or something like that kind mm-hmm. of gives them, uh, that's what port, in, in in I think our circles, Mason, people who like port, but don't really like the rest of the wine, it's it's usually with like a heavy bitter chocolate or with like a cigar or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about your guys's port
2: yeah, absolutely, and you you know with port because it's uh, because it's such a strong wine you get you have to have something strong to stand up for it stand up with it so mm-hmm. uh, you know like you were saying cigar or, or some dark chocolate um, but our port is is this was just released the one that's on the website so I actually okay. don't don't know exactly what's in it but my guess based on our ports historically is it's generally a blend of our Cabernet Franc, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. It's primarily Cabernet Franc. Again, going back to the fact that that, that particular grape uh, we grow, we have the most, most acreage of compared to our Cab Sauv and our Merlot. And uh, so, so we generally have some excess Cab Franc that goes into um, excess Cab Franc, Cab Sauv and Merlot that that comprises our port. And then it's fortified uh, with distilled grape spirits, which is, you know, brandy. So that's what gives it that extra oomph, you know, getting it up to about 18% um, alcohol. So it's definitely uh, a very unique wine. It's, uh, I love it. Uh, I used to love it too much. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I used to have a New Year's, New Year's Eve tradition of drinking a bottle of port before midnight. And uh, I did that for a couple of years until I, Till I realized it was a bad decision every time I did it. So <laughs> that, that aside, uh, it's it's a very unique wine and uh, it's a great wine, uh, especially in the wintertime. It'll warm you right up. Okay.
0: That sounds pretty good. There's one more that I saw in here that is also kind of in that fortified dessert sort of category. And that was that you also had this sherry. I have actually never had a sherry. Uh, and I see that you guys it's a solar Solara, Solara uh, yeah Solara sherry um, sort of in the same category as a port although I do not have any experience with a, a sherry but uh, from my understanding it's kind of along the same lines you want something very very strong to go with it because you're talking about you know uh, higher than 16% ABV usually with a sherry uh, and it's fortified uh, can you tell us a little bit about that sherry?
2: Yeah, the sherry is something very uh, unique uh, in terms of its history. Um, We purchased, uh, back in 2011, we purchased the old Widmer winemaking facility, which was started in uh, 1882, and that's at the southern end of Canandaigua Lake. And we purchased that back in 2011 primarily to produce all of our wines in-house. Red Cat got so big that we didn't have the capacity to produce it out of our Seneca Lake facility. Widmer's came up for sale and we purchased it. And during the the tour of the facility, Doug Haslett was walking through there and he said, what's in those barrels over there? And uh, inside the barrels was uh, Widmer's famous sherry. And uh, it, it was made in the Solera method. And that's basically a method of taking multiple vintages uh, in the barrel and fractionally blending them over the years. And what that does is it creates a more consistent product. Uh, it slowly oxidizes, which is why how it gets that golden, orangey color. Yeah. And uh, makes, it, well, you know, of course, if you make it right, makes a beautiful wine. Similar to port. It's a little sweeter, a little more syrupy than, than our port. Um, and it's fortified uh, with distilled grape spirits. Again, brandy. Mm-hmm. Um so, anyways, we purchased the the Windmer winemaking making facility. We bottle the sherry that was left over, we send it out to competitions, and it just wins awards left and right. And uh, even though you know it was under the Hazlitt name, Little Inside Baseball, it wasn't actually the first batches weren't actually Hazlitt uh <laughs> Sherry. But regardless, uh, we've been bottling it ever since, and it's been a huge Huge fan favorite, and uh, again, it, it sales spike for the port and the sherry, especially in the winter time, because it's just something you can sip on, warms you right up, and uh, I I would recommend you know sherry over anything. Sherry and the ice wine go really well over any any type of cinnamon dessert or vanilla Ooh, yeah. ice cream, something like that.
0: That sounds pr- that sounds pretty good. Uh, I have one more thing that I want to ask about Mason, but Mason,
1: do you have anything that you want to ask about? I uh, know. So like, I mean, this is this, uh, I had a question that really probably doesn't, you may not know the answer to, and this is just something that like Jacob and I have kind of looked at and thought about and maybe thought down upon in the past. It's when do you decide to cork as opposed to screw cap? And that's just kind of one of those things that like, any chance I kind of get to ask those kind of inside baseball questions. And some people know the answer. Some people don't. So that's just the one thing I had thought of beforehand. I was like, huh, maybe he'll know. <laughs> so
2: yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Uh, that, that basically lies in the, the winemaking team's hands. So, um, we do have two sets of winemakers. We have one winemaker, um, that works out of our Seneca Lake facility. Uh, and he handles all of our dry wines. And then we have a pair of winemakers that works out of our, uh, Naples, New York at the South end of Canada, Lake that facility. Um, and they handle a lot of our, the sweeter wines. Um, they handle the Sherry and our hard ciders as well, as well as production for a bunch of other wineries. So anyways, they, um, a handful of years ago, decided to go to the screw cap for various reasons. Uh, it is uh, superior closure. There's a lot less, uh, oxygen exchange in a screw cap. It's a lot more consistent oxygen exchange, um, compared to a cork, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're looking for. Um, and then there, there's a severely reduced risk of cork taint with a screw cap. Yeah. Um, so A handful of years ago, we decided to basically change everything over to screw cap with the exception of a handful of wines, a handful uh, of our wines that our winemaker, Michael Reedy, that makes our dry wines. He was skeptical um, about the aging process with screw cap, and he didn't want to dive right in. So you'll see that our reds, I think our reds are the only ones with corks now, and he's just more comfortable with the aging process out of the corks with the reds. um, And he, he preferred it to just keep it that way as opposed to transitioning to screw caps for those. Um, It also, because there's a little more oxygen exchange generally with, with the corks, you can get the reds out a little sooner. Um, If you put them under screw cap, there's a bit of a concern that um, they'll be, they'll taste too young, you know, even, like the seventeen, Cap front you guys are trying. If they were on, if that was under screw cap, probably tastes might taste a lot tighter than it does right now.
0: Yeah, hmm. that's what I've heard about screw grading. cap too. Was Mason you were saying?
1: No, I was just that that was like like perfect, like the covered kind of like every point and like and kind of it, it makes a lot more sense on kind of looking at things and kind of seeing where. And like, I don't have the right descriptive word for this, but a lot of people see like look down on screw caps and I can see yeah. why. Cause like if the wine generally tastes younger, you know, there's a lot of people, especially here where, you know, like in, in France, Jacob, as we talk about, like, they don't usually, like most wine is made to be consumed, not like right away, but like you're not aging it yeah. for like half a century going, Oh, ha, ha, every wine bottle yeah. must be aged. So People here, it's kind of like, oh no, wine is this special aged thing, and you have this huge delay. And I, I can see where people are like, oh, it's just too, it's too young, and people don't really know how to tell someone else that.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. I think I, th- I don't. I mean, this is also maybe my own bias is when I buy white wine, I do tend to prefer screw cap because white wine is supposed to be drunk more young. Well, not not all white wine, but the white wine that I tend to get, like Sauvignon Blanc. Um, it is supposed to be a slightly younger wine and, uh, or if I get like a Beaujolais or something like that, it's going to be a, I I like that fresh taste. I like that young taste on it. But, um, usually if I'm getting like a, a Cap Franc is a good example or a Cabernet Sauvignon that I want to be slightly aged a little longer, that cork, um, does allow a little bit of that oxygen exchange. And I think that makes it a little bit of a, um, and this may be just a complete, you know irrational bias or whatever, but I do kind of go like, Oh, as, as a, as a wine connoisseur, I feel like this red wine is a little bit better, but that, that could also be totally bogus. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, as much as I do think of myself as like a wine person, I don't know enough about it to really tell that much of a difference. And I do enjoy the young wines. Uh, they are different. A lot of times, you know, I saved that, uh, Cab Sauv, uh, I drink I drink it one with me, uh, with, uh, Nate classic before he moved out to Illinois. And then I saved that bottle for four or five years until he came and visited me in Dallas and we had it. And again, it's a, it's a recollection thing. I don't remember it being that much different, but it was a, a, a genuine uh, cork and um, like a regular cork tree cork, not a synthetic. I'll, but then again, Mason, you and I have run in this too, is that I also enjoy the synthetic cork. I think it's just easier to take out and, mm-hmm. and I'm lazy. So so and that, that kind of, it goes into a lot of that stuff too.
1: I much prefer the uh, synthetic.
0: Yeah, the synthetic cork or the screw cap, I just think are easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also flavor wise, I, I could also see that there's a difference, but you and I have covered so many stories about cork taint that it just makes me really nervous, even though people have been using cork for you know hundreds of years, and uh, I've never, as far as I am aware, run into cork tank, uh, But I feel more comfortable with screw cap or synthetic, and that may just be our inexperience. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I do have one more one more thing I wanted to ask about, and that is a uh, pink cat. Sure. Uh, I see Pink Cat on here. Pink Cat, to me, is appealing. It's it's a very, very hot summer here in Texas. Uh, kind of those like rosé wines or the sweeter wow. light-colored wines uh, go really well in like a spritzer or something that you can drink by the pool. Um, Pink Cat, to me, looks like it may fit in really well with our uh, Kill Dozer party that we have at our house where we all kind of hang out by the pool, have some barbecue and stuff like that, but it's also usually about 105 degrees. So uh, I, I want a refreshing wine. What can you tell us about Pink Cat in like a spritzer or like a nice chilled wine?
2: Yeah, it's uh, we always recommend serving Pink Cat chilled. Uh, it's very similar to Red Cat. So Red Cat's 80% Catawba and 20% uh, a red hybrid grape blend, whereas Pink Cat is 100% Catawba. It's a little uh, lower in sugar than the Red Cat, a uh, little higher in acidity, um, but something that would be a great spritzer. Uh, we do lots of cats on the beach where we take any one of our cats. You can pour them over ice um, and do something as simple as throwing a, a lemon-lime orange slice right in them, and it's a simple cocktail that – uh, you know brightens it up a little bit, but yet yeah, you could certainly you throw some uh, you know you could pour some one a flavor of truly and and the pink cat to make a a nice spritzer or you know obviously any type of soda that you'd this, like. this
0: sounds like we've got a episode in the making with our friend Carr campid who is the spritzer king in at least in masons in my mind
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: I, I don't think he realized that he drank spritzers until he talked to us but Uh, he is a spritzer champion and thought he invented them, but apparently he did not. So, (laughs) 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 and, uh, so we may, we may have to get a a pink cat out here to Texas and let him, uh, be introduced to that. Uh, I guess for, for the closing topic, I, I would like you to give a little bit of information if you could about, uh, Hazlitt, um, is it Hazlitt Vineyards? I guess it would be Hazlitt Vineyards because uh, the website is Hazlitt 1852.
2: Yeah, so it's okay. uh, Hazlitt 1852 Vineyards is okay. is the winery name. Um, and then our other location is Hazlitt Red Cat Cellars. So it gets a little, little confusing, but yeah, the winery name is Hazlitt 1852 Vineyards.
0: Okay. Uh, you want to give us a little bit of information about that as we close out and also I'm going to put you on the spot here because um I've already got a full cart and I'm probably going to order a bunch of this stuff for Mason and me for Christmas. <laughs> so, uh would you like to come on again maybe in early January and talk about some of the other things that I'm going that I'm about to
2: buy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Anything right. for a sale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's,
0: that's that, the libertarian spirit. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, no, I was going to say, I, go ahead, and, go ahead and tell us because uh, y- I, you're going to come on again in January, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to. I got a couple of these things I want to order and try out with some people. So um, go ahead and tell us about the about the the vineyard and. Uh, the Hazlitt brand and, and, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up there. And then I'll, we'll talk to you again in January.
2: Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, Hazlitt 1852 Vineyards, we started the winery uh, back in 1985. Um, And, and how that came about is uh, Jerry Hazlitt and his wife, Elaine Hazlitt were fruit producers for a long time in the Finger Lakes region. They were grape growers, uh, and so the great market largely changed uh, in the early 80s and changed for the worse, at least in the Finger Lakes. Um, a lot of producers like Welch's um, started sourcing their fruit from other areas of the country. Uh, the great market sort of f- fell through the floor in the Finger Lakes. So uh, producers started to look for... Uh, other things to use their grapes for. Um, incidentally, around that time, the uh, New York Farm Winery Act was passed and uh, it basically deregulated the sector. Now they paint it as as an act that, uh, they paint it sort of in the opposite light. Uh, but what the Farm Winery Act did was largely deregulate the sector and allow f- Uh, wineries to pop up and sell uh, directly to their consumers. Uh, Prior to that, you could only sell 5% of your product of your wine to a consumer that walked through your winery door. So what that did is uh, basically it created these huge players in the New York uh, wine industry. So, it, it, instead of having 160 wineries like you have today, you had about 14. Um, once the wine, act, the Farm Winery Act was passed, uh, basically you had farm wineries popping up left and right because they could actually make a living. When you sell something wholesale by New York state law, you have to chop the retail price in half. Mm-hmm. So uh, an $8 bottle of wine that you could sell out of your tasting room becomes a $4 bottle of wine. So.
0: Yeah. That's rough for, that's rough for growers. Like yeah. if you're trying, yeah. I mean, like, especially, I mean, I I don't have a lot of experience up there in the Northeast, but like down here in Texas, if you're not selling direct to consumer, you're not making money.
2: Right. So, uh, you know, once the Farm Winery Act just passed, uh, it made it, uh, much more profitable to jump in the wine business. So the Hazlitt's did that in, in 1985 And, uh, Red Cat was one of many of our first wines and, uh, it basically took off and, uh, like I was alluded to earlier, uh, became the best-selling red wine in New York state. Um, we, we peaked production of that particular wine on its own at about 500,000 gallons. Wow. And, uh, back in 2011, when, when the Widmer Winemaking Facility opened up on the south end of Canadagua Lake, we decided to buy that to produce everything in house. And uh, so now we have a tasting room both on Seneca Lake and Canadagua Lake. We have production facilities in both areas. We have a bottling line that's running uh, 40 hours a week over at our Canadagua Lake location. And we do bottling and anything from pressing fruit to warehousing and everything in between for for other wineries uh as well over there so it's a big operation over there more of a factory setting um with a small little tasting room and uh but yeah the Hazlitt brand uh, you know we always like to say we're all about great wines and great times and uh we love welcoming people and and you know treating treating people that walk through our doors even if it's their first time uh like friends or even family
0: Okay. Well, that sounds pretty good. Maybe Mason, you and I can take a trip up there at some point. And, I've, uh,
1: I've, I've looked at how far away it was because one of the things that my wife and I are trying to do uh, because we have a, a four-year-old is, and you know, we obviously live at the beach and it, it doesn't get that cold, is we were trying to find a place to go where we could go sledding. And, oh, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, so I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could find a place to sled in that direction." That's so. sure. <laughs> true.
2: You could, you could absolutely sled. There's plenty of sledding up here, and if you time it even right, where some of the lakes freeze over, you can sled right onto the lake.
1: Oh wow, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty neat. I, yeah. We have a uh, at this point, we have a, a negative three year old potentially negative 2 year old so <laughs> so so maybe we'll join you in a, in, in a 5 years or so yeah exactly but,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> uh you know and this just occurred to me while you were sharing the kind of the information about Hazlitt, because we met on Tom Woods and I uh didn't ask this is is how do you get in the Tom Woods show and how are you involved uh I I mean in the greater liberty movement i mean just listening to Tom Woods kind of makes you part of the liberty movement um and this is tasting anarchy after all. Yeah. So <laughs> <Exactly>. uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The uh um my liberty journey's in interesting uh to some people, probably not many, but uh I actually coming out of college, I worked a few jobs and what my main job was uh a life changer. It was code enforcement for a small village. Um, actually the village I grew up in village of horse heads and, uh, I was a code enforcement officer there for two years. And, uh, I, during the second year I was doing a fire inspection at a small cafe in the village and, uh, a rather, rather unique guy, uh, got to chatting with me and we were talking about this and that as I'm giving him these violations that he's got to fix. And, uh, we started talking about podcasts and I'm telling him that I listened to Dan Carlin's common sense. Oh podcast, yeah. That's a, that's
0: a great podcast. Yeah. Which,
2: which was good. And you know, I, yeah. I, I was totally on board with Carlin and I thought he had some really great strong points, but I was, I was, uh, you know, your standard lefty with, um, some differing opinions than, than the standard lefty, but, sure. uh, that aside, uh, this, this, gentleman ends up referring me to listen to the Lou Rockwell show as a code enforcement. Yeah. yeah, As a code (laughs) enforcement officer, I'm in my car a lot (laughs) driving around trying to, you know, make people's lives worse. So, uh, (laughs) so I, I download the Lou Lou Rockwell show. He also mentions and starts going on about economics and, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. Oh, wow. So I end up, I, I end up diving into the Lou Rockwell show and the creature from Jekyll Island. And it just uh, blossoms from there. Okay. Uh, so anyways, thats that's my quick story. And I quickly got out of code enforcement once <laughs> I got some new ideas in my head, and uh, got into the wine industry.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think probably the wine industry to, I guess, to make a pun is much more fruitful. Uh, <laughs> Than code
2: enforcement.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, I
2: wouldn't wish code enforcement on uh, on my worst enemy. <laughs> well, you
0: know, Mason and I. Uh, Mason, I don't know how how much you you've been involved in, in this in payroll, but like when Mason and I both worked in payroll, he currently. I think. I mean, you still work in payroll, I guess. Um, I work in something equally scammy, I guess, but <laughs> uh, very very similar. But like, yeah, I mean, I used to do tax uh tax filing for a living. And it just, I mean, it was soul crushing. It, it's all these people are paying all this money and it just sucks. <laughs> so I, I can, I can imagine code enforcement was probably very similar to that.
2: Yeah. It, it, uh, it just wasn't good. Um, and, uh, just, it, it was, it was a great learning experience though. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. you know, I look back at it and I realized that I would never made that connection, uh, if it weren't for code enforcement. So in some ways I'm thankful.
0: Yeah. I think that's, a, that's a good, that's a good, uh, a good way to look at it. Um, I think that's it. You said you've been with Hazlitt for 11 years.
2: I think so. Yeah. I that's, believe that's it's a, been 11.
0: That's a really, that's a great long time, especially for, uh, in, I guess our day and age is people are usually not with companies that long. That's, that's really, uh, speaks to Hazlitt because, the, the turnover rate at most companies is what Mason. I think you and I have talked about this before. What is it? Four years or five years or something like that? Uh,
1: yeah, I think millennials like drive down that a lot. But yes, like it is, it is super short by comparison.
0: Yeah. So that, that speaks really well to hassle, which makes me want to buy all of this stuff that's in my
2: cart even more. So. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, when, when you're as incompetent as I am, you can't get a job anywhere else. So, Good. you know, you just stick around.
0: All right. Well,
1: uh, I, I, I think that classic that's Jake and I describing things. <laughs> <It's> like,
0: <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the questions I have. Mason, if you have nothing else, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up and do mm-hmm. everybody's plugs.
1: Yeah, so you can find us tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on uh Twitter, uh on Twitter, Childerberg.com. Childerberg is the annual Liberty Festival in I always want to say South Central Texas, but Jacob corrects yeah, it's me. Central on, just
0: it, Central <laughs> yeah, Texas. It's central Texas, at forty-five minutes uh yeah, west yeah. of
1: Austin. Forty five minutes west of Austin in Mule Shoe Bend recreational area. Um I'm not going to try with the dates in uh, May because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get them wrong. But I think it's yeah, just. Well, actually, I'm, I'm pretty 30th.
0: sure I was on a couple of podcasts and I got them wrong, but it is. Um, Even better. It's, <laughs> it's. Yeah, I know. It's, it's May uh, 29th through 31st. I just uh, got so, it right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, through 31st, because uh, it's a holiday weekend. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, this year is going to be really great. I got another comedian to come. So we're actually having it. And and maybe Ian, you'll appreciate this because they're in a similar industry. It's at a distillery. The distillery we went to last time, which is Iron Wolf Distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, um, well, I guess I should probably not announce that and just say it's tentative. But in, as soon as we work out a price, they're going to let us use our use their stage. We're going to have some music, some comedy and uh, be drinking some distilled uh, alcohol. And then also there is a, is Spicewood Vineyards is about 10 minutes down the road from that. Uh, So we, if they're going to allow us to, we'll have some of that wine there as well, because that's what Mason and I are into. And I'm not really a liquor guy. Um, So if anybody is interested in that type of stuff, uh, go ahead and just reach out to us. Um, You can either go to Childerberg at Twitter, or you can go, uh childerberg.com it's down right now because i'm still doing some work on it but um it should be back up soon. Oh, yeah. So uh Ian, you want to do uh any of your plugs?
2: Sure. Yeah, if if you guys are interested in our wines, certainly uh visit our website haslett1852.com, h a z l i t t 1852.com. Uh you can read more about the winery. Uh, check out any of our wines to buy. We don't ship to every single state, but we do ship to most states and we're running a great uh, flat rate shipping of $10. So you can get whatever you want for $10. You can buy a case, you can buy five cases and it'll be $10 flat rate shipping. Um, And if you guys, if anybody's ever up in the Finger Lakes, uh, swing into Hazlitt Vineyards, ask for me. If they don't throw you out immediately, I'll give you a tour of the, of the winery and, uh, you know, run you through a tasting. Fantastic. That sounds,
0: that sounds absolutely fantastic. I also just noticed that there's a Sauvignon Blanc on here. So there's another thing to be. I wasn't going to point my, that out uh, to you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my favorite white varietal. <laughs> so there's, there's a new thing being added. So highly recommended by both Mason and me. And, uh, I think
2: until next time, everybody stay free, stay free, stay free. Stay free.